Welcome to Life from Flat to Fabulous. Your hosts are Sarah Karkner and Sheila Turner. This program is based on practical life-enhancing tools to shift your energy, mixed in with great stories, lots of laughs and wisdom to help you feel more confident and ignite your full potential. Now, here's Sarah and Sheila. Hello, it is Sarah and Sheila here, and we are so happy to be with you today. We are going to be talking about navigating each phase of your life with grace and gusto, really living the width of your life, not just the length of your life. And we are so excited to have Robin Wren, who is going to be our guest today. And let me just tell you a little bit about Robin. She is a dynamo. Robin Wren has been described as the Murphy Brown of the business world, honest, fearless, and funny shattering glass ceilings in the corporate world while never taking the corporate world too seriously. Rockin' Robin was a senior vice president at American Express and later president slash general manager of merchandise services. Prior to that, Robin was a partner at Bain & Company in Boston, a renowned strategy consulting firm. Robin has an MBA from Harvard Business School, a Baker Trust Scholarship, and a BA in math. Robin has been married to her wonderful husband, Ephraim, for over 25 years. They have two fabulous grown children, a son and daughter, who now work in Silicon Valley. Since leaving the corporate world years ago, Robin devoted her energies to three things. One, raising her kids. Two, helping to launch and roll out a tutoring and immersion program for at-risk African-American students in New Jersey, where she lived at the time. And three, co-founding a web-based business with her husband called Deep Dive Research. Robin moved to Westchester with her husband three years ago. She enjoys adventure travel and the many new friendships she made through Fab, Story Slam, and Progressive Causes. And I'm so excited to have her here because she is my friend. And she is a dynamo. And in the words of our guest from last week, she has high levels of badassery. (laughs) She does. She does. She is the kind of person, let me just tell you that. If you know, when they used to have to like pick who do who do you want on your kickball team, I would pick Robin. But then if it was like who do you want on your debate team, I would pick Robin. And then if it was like who do you want on your dance team, I, she is just one of those people who just anything she does, she does it well. So Robin, thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to talk with you today, and we just want to learn a little bit more about you. So why don't you tell the audience? Why don't you actually start from? Um, where it began as far as your beginnings of breaking that glass ceiling and how you dealt with that. I know where you went to school, but why don't you share with the audience where this all started? Well, okay. Well, thank you, first of all, Sarah, (laughs) for having me. It's very exciting, but I love this podcast show you and Sheila have. Um, Let's see where it all began. Let's see if I can live up to a fraction of the intro. First of all, I think... (laughs) One of, you know, when we start out life, we think that life is going to be like a straight line on a graph, that all the points are going to fall neatly and predictably into place, and uh, and that it's going to be a straight line just up that mountain. But as you know, life doesn't happen that way. But I can tell you that that the first chapter of my life, probably what motivated me to achieve in the business world, was really... um, was really in childhood this feeling of knowing I wanted to have financial independence. Um, the backstory on me is that my I was raised in Chicago. My father was a social worker. He never made much money, so my parents were always on a tight budget, and he controlled the purse strings. Um, I just have a clear memories of my mother having to ask for the money and justify every purchase. Uh, 
And I just remember vowing in childhood that I never wanted to be in that position of having to ask permission, uh, that I would do whatever it took to become financially independent. So that is kind of what drove it. You know, in other words, it wasn't because I was such a high achiever. I think I just really wanted to feel like I was going to at least control my destiny financially. So in my 20s and 30s, I really put the pedal to the metal. And, um, And that's how it all started. That's awesome. So you had that experience as a child and it really kind of pushed you and you didn't know exactly which direction you were going to go, but you just knew I'm going to, if I want to buy those shoes, I'm going to be able to buy those shoes. I'm not going to justify that to anybody. That's right. That's right. Okay. So then you did go to school. What's that? That's exactly right. (laughs) So then you did go to school. So why don't you tell us about how that was for you? Well, let's see. Business school for me was great. It was really eye-opening. It was so different than my undergraduate experience because at Harvard Business School back then, there were only 15% of the class that was women, 85% were men, and they seemed so full of bravado and confidence. And, you know, I came from a college where it felt more like, you know, the faculty were the mighty masters and we were the lowly toads. (laughs) So business school was really very different. These people really believed that they were going to be the captains of industry. And I think that really made me think differently about um, just how to be bold and and see that even some of the, you know, guys in class who you know, who weren't any great shakes, they didn't seem to hesitate to be bold. <laughs> oh, that's and interesting. So they had a that. confidence. They had that confidence, even though you didn't think there was much background <laughs> behind it. Robin, uh, this is yeah, Sheila. I mean, Sorry. Hi, Sheila. Uh, hey, I was wondering if the women there with you, were they all supportive of each other or was it more of a cutthroat atmosphere? I think... Um, I would say mostly supportive. I mean, to some degree, we we didn't kind of colonize together. I wouldn't say we really, you know, loved, kind of developed a cabal, but I think there was definitely some, you know, simpatico with some of the women and not with some of the others. But I don't think we felt that comfortable necessarily forming like a woman's group, maybe because we were... We just felt more too self-conscious for that, maybe. <laughs> and, and then how did the men in the your peers, the male peers, treat you guys? I think for the most part, you know, pretty well. Some might have looked at us more as oddities. But I would say, in all fairness, people, people judged you basically, you know, on your merit. I mean, this at... at Harvard Business School, you you have to get used to being put on the spot and open a case. So, you know, people kind of, you know, hang back and size you up. But I think if you, you know, if you put in the work and you're willing to stick yourself out there and open a case, uh, I think I think the guys were fine. I think they treated every us really fairly. That's great. Do you have a professor or anybody who really influenced you during your time there that stood out to you? Uh, 
I think there were a lot of good professors, but these were big sections. These are sections of like 90 people. So I wouldn't say I really got to know any professor really well. Um, I think that came later in my uh, career at Bain. I did have, I think it was my third boss at Bain who uh, really did have a big impact on me. His name was Mike, and he really, you know, believed in me and made me believe that you can be, there are all different ways to be, you know, a successful business person and um, and to just kind of trust your own instincts there and, and uh, again, stick your neck out for greater challenges. And so I do definitely think that's one thing that I admire about you is that you're always trying new things and looking to develop yourself. Do you think that's something that's always been in your personality or really stemmed from your time at Harvard? Oh, oh, I think it has more to do with maybe a restless nature. <laughs> okay. I think that, um, again, I think what I've found is how much life is formed in different chapters. And oftentimes at the end of one chapter, you start to get restless. And, you know, you, you, you feel like you're in a rut. You almost can feel it. And I just... I just would rather um, experiment than stay in a rut too long. I think anything is is better than that feeling of being in a rut. So do you have any advice for people how to get out of the rut? So for you, it's being in that rut is you don't like the feeling. Some people just marinate in the feeling of being in a rut. Do you have any advice for people to get out of that rut? Well, I think the first thing I would say is, worry less, and take action more. I think it's really important to just take small steps in the direction of what you want to change. And it doesn't have to be grand gestures. Um, but one thing, you, one thing I learned, and I learned it, you know, through <laughs> trial and error. One thing I learned is that Fear is a coward. Don't let fear bully you. If you just take some steps towards fear, fear will kind of cower and shrink away. And, and I think that's what I've learned. I think I used to think that you set a grand goal, and of course it can be too intimidating, but just put a toe in the water. I love that. Don't don't let fear be a bully. You got to help fear shrink down by just taking little steps towards it. Right. And can you tell us an instance where this happened to you? What like a challenge came up or you started to feel like you were getting into a rut specifically? What kind of steps you took and where did that take you? Yeah, let's see. Well, the the one that comes to mind was probably the most, you know, a, a pretty miserable time in my life, and, and strangely, it was my first job out of college. This was before business school, and um, I had just gotten supposedly a great job at AT&T in Washington, D.C., and, and I was probably making more than my, <laughs> my father even made, but turned out that it was just a very military hierarchy, a very military business hierarchy 
and I felt totally out of place, a fish out of water. It was these guys with, and it was all men, um, these guys with decimal points for eyes carrying attache cases, and it was such a, you know, shut up, salute, and just keep marching kind of a culture. But for some reason, I just stayed in that environment, maybe because your first job out of college, you have no frame of reference reference for what's reasonable, and you don't trust yourself enough to trust your instincts. So um, I think at a certain point I said, I'll do anything to get out of here, and uh, that's when I started to find out about this scholarship that I really hadn't, you know, had supposedly lapsed, but I started to fight to get it back, and that was one instance where I just I wrote them a letter. I kind of came back uh, again and again and said, hey, you know, I now I have earned my stripes. I have some of the battle scars. I really think that you should still, you know, give me this scholarship and not say that it's expired. <laughs> so that's one that's example. That's great. That's really good, though, because you did, even though you weren't sure of what the outcome was going to be. And, in fact, the outcome, you, you know, you thought it lapsed, but then you took all those steps because you never know unless you try. And that's something that I think is a lesson for everybody. Some people will just assume that they know the answer to something, but you have to go out and try and try. And it was successful for you. So that's great. So that's when you ended up going to business school. Yes. And, and you know, just that learning that I think I learned never again in my life would I suffer for more than six months at a time without making some kind of a major change. You know, when you start a new job, you have to sort of say, okay, I'm going to give it six months. I'm going to give it my best. I'm not going to question the, you know, how uncomfortable it feels. But after six months of every anything, if you really are miserable, don't suffer too long in the status quo. You know, it's, it's like that, uh, uh, what is the... What is the Forrest Gump line that life is like a box of chocolates? You never know what right. you're going to get. But yes. you know, when you bite into a chocolate and you don't like how it tastes, you better spit it out and try another. <laughs> <laughs> Great advice. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that is really good advice because I do think that you know, even just giving yourself a time frame like that. I remember you said that to me once, and I was like, she gave herself a time frame. That's so good because then life can go you get distracted and then you're like, wow, all of a sudden a year goes by and I'm in the same situation. And so just to kind of think about that and put that out there for yourself to check in, hey, it's been six months. How am I feeling? Do I feel like I need to make a change or do I feel like I need to keep going? So that's a good little tool to check in with yourself every few months and just check how you're doing so you don't get stagnant and don't get stale. Yes. And then do you feel like, so then you went to business school, and where did you go after business school? Uh, I joined Bain & Company, which was this very dynamic, fast-growth consulting firm in Boston, and it was very exciting. That sounds exciting. So you you were in the city of Boston? Yep, city of Boston, and it was just such a... um, it, it was just full of such smart, dynamic people that it was, it was a lot of fun. Very, very challenging. Probably the most, um, you know, an environment that was the most demanding of any that I had been in before or since in terms of, you know, there are so many 
people far smarter than I there. But, uh, you know, but you find you have something to contribute for sure. And then what do you think you learned the most from, from that experience? Hmm. Uh, I think I learned that if you, hmm, I guess I learned that, that success doesn't come quickly. You have to sustain the effort. You know, you have to really um, work hard but do it in a playful way. And one of the things that Bain was so good at was making a place fun, you know, and I, I think that that was a philosophy that I was able to carry with me forward is that, wow, here was an environment where people were working super hard. I mean, there were many years I worked 60 to 70 hours a week, which, you know, is crazy. <laughs> uh, right. uh, but it was so much fun because there was so much humor in the workplace and and uh, so much camaraderie of the teams and and just um yeah and and I learned to have a growing sense of confidence about being able to create that spirit in in the teams that I was responsible for that is a great life lesson. Work hard, play hard. And in fact, I just watched um, a YouTube video I was showing my students, and it was about the best students actually, when they put their schedule, they actually schedule in the fun first, and then they schedule studying and schoolwork surrounding that. And I think that's a great way to approach life. And we are going to come back to all of this after the commercial break we're about yes. to have. We are. And Sarah, you said you would want Robin on your kickball team. I want to go <laughs> shopping with Robin. She is probably yes. one of the best dressed women I know. That's true. So we will be back with more of Robin's story. And we're going to take a quick commercial break. But before we do, make sure you guys follow us at Fab Empowers. Hashtag at Gab with Fab and hashtag Fab Empowers so we know you're listening. Visit our website, fabempowers.com, to get your free gift the latest updates, and join our tribe of fab women just like Robin with our monthly membership. We will be right back. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Do you feel you have a bigger life's purpose than you're currently living? Of course you do. Activate your passion as you tune in to Sovereign Self with host Sophia Renea Morales. Become the conscious creator of your own life. Connect with your most powerful and purposeful self in order to make big things happen for you now. Sophia and her guests are doing this every day and are sharing how you can step into this power too. Listen to Sovereign Self every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel.
You are listening to Life from Flat to Fabulous with your hosts, Sheila and Sarah. Got a question or a comment about the show? We're right here by email at info at fab-women.com. That's info at fab-women.com. Now back to Life from Flat to Fabulous. Hello, we are back. This is Sarah and Sheila, and we are here with our special guest, Robin Wren, also known as the Murphy Brown of the business world, who has shattered the glass ceilings in the corporate world, and she was sharing with us some of her wisdom, working hard, playing hard, and making sure that you always uh, move forward and don't get stagnant. So every six months, you really need to check and say, how am I feeling? Am I stagnant? Am I not enjoying what I'm doing? Because if not, Life is like a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get, but you can also pick another chocolate. So then you get to pick another chocolate if you don't like the one you have. So we are talking about chapters as well today, navigating the chapters of your life. And Robin talked a little bit about the chapter where she was in school and she went to Harvard Business School and it was predominantly men. But the second chapter of her life took a little bit of a turn and she went from this corporate person to also then having a family. So Robin, why don't you take it from there and and transition from that first chapter of your life into that second chapter of your life? Okay. So I think I I was different than most people in, in this way. I think I really had my head down and, again, sort of did that pedal to the metal throughout my 20s and my early 30s. So somewhere around the age of 34, I started to feel like, hey, something important is missing. (laughs) And big bonuses and stock options alone weren't going to uh, fill the, you know, sense of sort of void I was starting to feel. So that was good because that was kind of a wake-up call for me. And I had, though I had dated a lot through my 20s and 30s, I had never chosen to get serious with anyone. And uh, my my heart kind of kept returning to this guy I had dated in college, and he sure didn't fit the checklist. So part of the second chapter was starting to shed some of the shoulds that we think that we should do. Um, you know, he was, he was a, back in college when I met him, he was a recent immigrant from a new country on the Horn of Africa, Eritrea, he was black, and at the time, he was an adamant Marxist. <laughs> uh, he even looked like a young revolutionary. So long story short, at the age of 34, um, I reconnected with him. And he had always been a friend. We had kept in touch. Uh, and, you know, long story short, we rekindled our romance, and we both, for the first time, got married at the ripe old age of 35. It was a first marriage for both of us, which was pretty unusual. And I had my kids late. My, my son at 37, uh, named him Justin for just in time. And my daughter <laughs> No way. Is that, is that really why you named him? <laughs> that would be hilarious. I like the name. And <laughs> oh, my God. I love it so, so much. That started a whole new chapter that really shifted my emphasis, you know, more to the home front. Than, uh, and even though I worked through many years through part of that, it was no longer my top priority, for sure. And eventually I structured a work life that was more flexible, that I could work from home on New York area clients. So it was a big shift from that first chapter. <laughs> Did you find any resistance when you were trying to do that, meaning from the corporations you were working with? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I ended up leaving American Express because it really, the kinds of jobs I had when I, when you run a business unit and, you know, you have a, you're responsible for a couple hundred people, that's not a job you can do from, <laughs> you have to be on the front lines. That's not a job you can do um, part-time or, right. you know, virtually. So, uh, yes, very much so. I, I made a choice that as I looked at the, the promotions from there, an EVP, I knew that I didn't want those jobs because they were going to be, you know, they were going to involve a lot of dinners out with clients, etc. And I chose to take a pass. And eventually, this, this was about two years in the planning, I uh, made contact with a a former colleagues at a spin-off consulting firm to Bain and again structured a more flexible environment but it comes from just sitting back and saying wait a minute do I want the same things in this chapter or do I want something different right so did you find it difficult at all to assimilate to um, the new chapter of family in the sense of with different people when you you know I know when I had my daughter and I was like in the mom's club or I was in a group called mothers and more um, and finding like-minded people who were into learning and growing. Cause you're a very savvy person. You know, you're very dynamic and you like to always learn new things. Do you find that you found like people like that or was that a challenge for you? Hmm. Uh, it's funny. I, I, I don't, I made certainly you do make friends through your kids and, and that's great because you're all going through that same phase of life. But I think, uh, I mean, in many ways, we we even were sort of, you know, odd as parents. We we did things differently in many ways. For for example, uh, I would take my kids individually out of school, like when this is grade school and middle school. I'm not talking high school, like 20 days a year, and we'd have hockey days together where we would literally, um, for example, we might, my, my son was really into Egyptian, you know, sort of how the Egyptians used to live or the Greeks used to live, and we'd read about it, and then we would, like, take a field trip, just he and I, to the Museum of Modern Art and go through the Egyptian section of the museum. And, you know, the funny thing is, I'm sure he learned more in those hooky days we'd have every once every two weeks than in a week of school. <laughs> and I love that. I love that about you, that you did that. And didn't you take your daughter out for, didn't you homeschool her for a while or something happened with your daughter? That's right. In, in eighth grade, and this certainly wasn't for religious reasons. We didn't, you know, we didn't have a religious curriculum at all, but it, it was her eighth grade. And it was partly a commentary up in New Jersey on, the school I felt was going to be kind of mediocre, that she had gotten all she was going to get out of it. So I gave her the choice. I said, well, you know, do you want to go to eighth grade or do you want to homeschool for a year? I've got the time. (laughs) And I really left the choice up to her, and she said, homeschool. So we ended up up doing a lot with that year. We, um, it came at a good time also for my husband in his career. So we actually did a lot of travel. We went for about a month to my husband's home country of Eritrea. And 
my so my son uh let's see my yeah my son was in eighth grade at that time and my daughter was in sixth grade but i'm sure they learn more from that month you know spent in the horn of africa than they would have learned in a month of school and we we did we did other things for example the year i homeschooled my daughter uh she and i went with an artist friend and her daughter who was about the same age to Mexico for a month, and we went to see the monarch butterfly migration in the Oyamel Forest of Ndongo. That was pretty exciting, riding these local, you know, buses with, you know, just local people on them throughout parts of Mexico. Right. So you do all these amazing things, and you really carve out, like you talked about a little bit with carving out the kind of work place you wanted, the, the job you wanted, and now you're carving out what you want, the experiences you want for your children. Is there any advice you have for people? Because that sounds so amazing to me and you inspire me, but I think that would maybe, um, people might feel apprehensive or afraid to kind of step outside of the box. I think, oh, we have to go through school and you have to go through school a certain way. Is there any advice you have for people to maybe help to motivate them to do these different kind of activities? Because I know for your children, I've met them both, they're amazing, amazing kids, to instill that sense of wonder and um, love of learning and love of adventure. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because, uh, believe me, I've spent many times where I was stewing over things or discouraged or, or where it felt like, you know, nothing exciting was going on. I, I think it just starts from those small steps. Just whatever you have, um, you know, if your instinct tells you, I want to try something, you don't have to, you don't have to take your kid out of school for a year. Take one day off with the kid and just, you know, as an example, or if it's something else, just try it. Just, um, you know, just try one day, or just, uh, you know, if you want to pursue personal growth, just listen to a TED Talk for 20 minutes. I, I really think it's all about small steps, and we all are, are, have our own mountains, our own Mount Everest. I loved your last podcast with Wendy. We all have a mountain we're trying to climb. It certainly starts with just putting one foot in front of the other, and if and it will bring you energy if it's in the direction of something you really care about, whether it's on the home front or in the working world. And I think that's something really good to point out to the audience, because if it is bringing you energy, that's how you know you're on the right path. You're on the right track. And you and Wendy have a common yeah. theme about trusting your instincts throughout. Like the, your story so far has all been about trusting your gut and going with it and not letting the fear stop you from doing what you know you need to do. That's right. And believe me, you know, uh, I'm sure as I look back on my life, there were ruts I stayed in too long. Most of us do. But don't even beat yourself up about it. Just say, hey, okay, so now I woke up. Let me take that first step. I absolutely love that. I love that. Now, I want to get back to something. you. We had a great conversation one time, and you were talking about 
that people do suffer longer than they should with the devil that you know? That's what you said. He says, the devil that you know, people stay in that longer. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. I think, I think we always think a lot about the risk of change. You know, for example, when we were starting a business, you know, oh, my gosh, look at all the risks out there or any kind of change. Or for me, it, was, it really was for me to trust someone enough to marry them and, uh, and make a long-term commitment. That was scary for me. So that's an example of where um, I think that you just, you, if something is bothering you and you're in the status quo and you're not happy, there is more risk to staying in that unhappy place than there is to experimenting. I think we, you know, if we would take life a little less seriously, you know, if we'd think of it more as a game and more as like nobody has this thing figured out, right? None of us are going to be here 100 years from now. Look around, right. none of us. And so it's, it's you know, it's, it's a bunch of experiments. So, so just have fun sampling things and trying things until you find what works for you. And, and uh, you know, I mean, that's, I've tried to do that in the working world and in the and in personal life, but it it isn't you know it is like two steps forward and one step back and and just don't beat yourself up about it. Just pat yourself on the back when you start taking those steps. I love it. I love it. And then you course correct, right? So if it doesn't go well, then you just correct the, the course you're on and change that. And I think that's such a great attitude because if the world in life is a playground, then you're more likely to get out there and play if you have that attitude and that belief system. There was something else that you talked about a little bit when you were talking about um, meeting your husband. And I want to expand on that as well. And you mentioned the shoulds, the feeling of the shoulds in life. And there's a song that's really good. It says, don't shoot on me and I won't shoot on you, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> um, it's, by, it's, it's really funny. Anyway, but I want to know your um, take on that. You, you touched on it briefly, but do you have anything more about the shoulds of life or your experiences with the shoulds? Yeah. Uh, well, gee, uh, you know, we tend to think we should, whatever, should climb the corporate ladder or we should be certain kinds of parents or we should, you know, we shouldn't take too much risk or, and I guess, uh, I mean, obviously some of those things come from all the warnings our, our parents give us as we grow up. But after a while you have to start to say, you know, it's, it's something Sheila, uh, I think quoted in, in maybe your first podcast, something like, you know, when they write the story of your life, make sure you're the one holding the pen Yes. And I think if you, I love that. I love that. I think if you uh, say, hey, this is my script, this is my story, and take ownership for that, I think you'll start to free yourself from some of those shoulds. I mean, I, you know, a lot of people would say, you shouldn't take your kids out of school. 20 days a year, that's a lot. <laughs> well, it, I'm not saying it would work for everyone, but I think it worked for me, and I think it worked for my kids. So, you know, um, you, yeah, and then you make the mid-course corrections. I love that. I love that. So write your own script, make sure you're holding the pen, and that frees yourself from the shoulds. 
And again, it probably taps you more into your authenticity and from our guest last week and what you're saying, that kind of gut feeling. And then the gut feeling continues and the energy keeps going and something in motion just stays in motion. And, And the more you're doing that taps into what you really feel is right is going to then propel you forward. And I absolutely, I love that. That's great. So you started this family and we are going to have to go to a commercial break soon, but you started this family. And so then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the chapter that you're in now and, and how you kind of just approach that. We've got a little bit of your approach with you just take the bull by the horns and you just like to experience everything. And we will expand a little bit more on that. But before we go, we have a couple of this or that questions that we're going to do. So if you just answer. Okay, okay, ready? Cookies or cake? Cookies. Which one? Cookies, cat or dog? Ooh, that's a toughie. I had a monkey (laughs) as a child. You had a monkey? You had a monkey? I did. I did. Oh, my goodness. Today's National Hug Your Dog Day. (laughs) What's your monkey's name? (laughs) Oh, Twiggy. Twiggy? Oh, my God. I did not know that. Back in the... (laughs) Well, well, the model's name was Twiggy. And I had this eight-foot cage with an ultraviolet light. Yeah. I don't know. I can't believe my parents were crazy enough. I earned all the money to get that monkey. And the eight-foot cage, and I had to feed it mealworms. So... That's amazing. Okay, you know what? That That's a really good segue into a commercial. And we're going to talk about that more when we get back. We're going to go back to the monkey thing. But for right now, Sheila has a couple of things to say. And then we'll go to commercial. Yeah, I'm kind of speechless after that one. But we're going to go take a quick commercial break. But before we do, make sure you're following us at Fab Empowers on social media. And hashtag it Gab with Fab and Fab Empowers. Visit our website, fabempowers.com to get your free gifts, the latest updates, and to join our tribe of fabulous women like Robin with our monthly membership. We will be right back. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Are you ready for a show about possibilities? Are you tired of boundaries and limitations and ready for expansion and growth? Then tune in and spend some time with Rebecca Huey, host of Mastermind. Dr. Rebecca provides a safe, healing environment designed to help you develop emotional intelligence, resilience, and the self-awareness necessary to create positive, long-lasting change. Listen every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Want to improve your health, business, and life just by listening to a radio show? Well, we can at least move you in the right direction. Listen for Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Each week, Allison will speak with amazing guests and find out what's changed their lives and how they are changing the lives of others. From beauty to health to business and personal relationships, we're here to inspire you to live your life of passion. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers channel. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, 
guests and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. And join us for a replay of the show on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Life from Flat to Fabulous with your hosts, Sheila and Sarah. Got a question or a comment about the show? We're right here by email at info at fab-women.com. That's info at fab-women.com. Now back to Life from Flat to Fabulous. Hello, it's Sarah and Sheila, and we are back talking about navigating the different chapters of your life. And we are here with Rock and Robin, Robin Wren, and she has given us all these golden nuggets of wisdom, like work hard, but also play hard. Make sure you're having a good time doing what you're doing. Make sure every couple months you check in to see that you're not in a rut and stagnant. Make sure you are writing your own script. You're holding the pen, and that's going to free yourself from the shoulds of life. And she also had a monkey named Twiggy, which we talked about, <laughs> which we just learned because we were playing a little bit of the this or that game. And I said cat or dog, and she said monkey, which I absolutely love. So we're going to do a few more of these this or that questions, and then we're going to get into some other things. So boat or plane? Oh, plane. Okay. Bananas or apples? Hmm. Apples. <laughs> All right, Alaska or Hawaii? Ooh, uh, ooh, I want to go to both. I was on the hur- I was in Hawaii during a hurricane, oh, <laughs> so I think really? I'll choose Alaska. <laughs> oh wow! Hurricane Iwa. I watched the roof blow off the McDonald's. <laughs> wow! <laughs> From a cinder block hotel. Yes, yes, and at that time, that trip, I was traveling alone. <laughs> Oh, goodness, you were by yourself. Well, tell us that story. There, there's a, Go ahead. You take us. Tell us that story. Uh, well, it, it, I had these frequent flyer points that were going to expire. So I had this four-day weekend. This was back in my late 20s, maybe early 30s. So I said, that's it. I'm going to go the farthest point. I'll go to Hawaii, to the island of Kauai. And then uh, I was hiking the Nepali Trail on my own, and the clouds just were getting darker and darker. So I was like, wow, you know, this Garden of Eden is looking a little sinister right now. Maybe I'd better <laughs> head back to, you know, my, uh, my hotel. So I was about to take a shower. I turn on the TV, and it's like disaster, you know, like uh, all these civil alarm services on the TV were saying the Hurricane Ewa is about to hit landfall in like two hours. So... I dashed to the airport. I don't know, even know what I was thinking. I don't want to fly out in a hurricane, but I, it, was like, it was like one of those disaster movies. People are screaming and crying, and, and I bumped into a couple of women who had just gotten the last room in the Cinderblock Hotel on the island. I said, please, can I come with you? And they said, Sure. So we got into this hotel. A lot of locals were in the hotel as a safer building, and they had these shortwave radios. 
So a couple hours later, the power goes out. The winds are like 100 miles an hour. You can put your hand out and feel the the pain of the rain coming sideways on your hand. And soon we were watching from the safety of the hotel windows the roof blow off the McDonald's, the telephone poles come down like matchsticks. Yep, it was something... So that was okay. an experience. So I think I'll choose Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I just have to ask you, where where does this sense of, um, you're very independent, obviously. You have this great sense of adventure and in, independence. So where does that come from? Oh, well, I guess I'd have to give credit to my folks on that. I, even though my father put probably too many shoulds in me, um, I think that, my, for example, my mom, when I, she encouraged me to go out east to college, which was far from Chicago where I'd grown up. And really, I couldn't think of too many people in my high school that went far from home to college. But I think my mom always, she never clipped my wings. She always said, whatever adventures you have, I get to share them when I hear about them later. So she really mm-hmm. was really wonderful that way. That's beautiful. I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that when I start to freak out when my daughter wants to go to college far away. I'll say we'll do that adventure because as of right now, like, where are we going to college? What dorm am I staying? <laughs> and I'm yeah, like, exactly. And I'm sure your children have like completely benefited from that, and and you've passed that sense of adventure on to them by giving them adventures and encouraging adventures, and that's a really cool thing to pass it down. Yeah, look at that. What was I thinking? Letting them do that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Yeah, because that, yeah, your kids have done right. some really interesting, amazing things, too. They travel an awful lot, which is really great. And again, just for your listeners out there, you know, it's it's hard to have your kids. I mean, my, my kids are out in Silicon Valley. I'm here in Pennsylvania. We, we're both out here. And it's not easy, of course. You know, you, you miss them terribly. But I, I really do feel like uh, if you feel that close connection, you still are very happy to see them unfurl their wings and fly in whatever direction that, you know, it's time for them to write their script. And, and that's how I feel about them. But believe me, I just want to make clear to your listeners that, you know, with the empty nester thing, it's not an easy transition. None of these are, but it's all about small steps and just thinking of life as just another adventure. It's there it's gonna have its it's gonna have its scary moments when when you're gonna have to dig deep and just say, take a deep breath and say, I'm gonna give this a try. That's great. So that's a good um segue to get us into what this chapter is like for you right now. So you mentioned a little bit of the empty nester. So can you take us from when you were you worked corporate, then you structured your work environment to be able to raise your children, and then you sent your children off and gave them free flight to do what they need to do. And so where are you at now? Yeah. Well, I think that uh, that third chapter has been more about uh, different kinds of risk-taking or different kinds of experimenting. And I think that took a couple of forms. One, one is starting our own business, 
Um, you know, it was scary to leave the security of the corporate world. Um, and believe me, in starting your own business, you it, it's the old adage, it's good. I didn't know how, we didn't know how hard it would be because we never would have done it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I think that starting our business, TPAP Research, was one part of it. I think another part of it was saying, hey, you know, uh, Let's have a new adventure and live somewhere else. Let's, I mean, partly because my mom lives in the Pennsylvania area, so I wanted to be a little closer as she's getting older. So we, three years ago, we moved from Montclair, New Jersey, where we had raised our kids for 20 years, and uh, moved to this area. And really, other than, other than, Two relatives, you know, we really didn't know. I didn't know anyone. I had to start from scratch again as far as making friendships and connection. So that, that's, that third chapter has been about a different kind of experimentation and finding new fellowship. Oh, I like that. Finding new fellowship. So different kind of experimenting, finding new fellowship. Can you tell the audience some of the things you did to put yourself out there and find fellowship and have new experiences? Yeah, a lot of it is going to sound, it's, it's funny because, of course, at first, when you're kind of groping about trying things, you know, there are a lot of false starts and a lot of things that would sound silly. For example, um, uh, I would just go to these meetup groups on book clubs. Sometimes I'd try to read part of the book or some science fiction book. And, and some of these meetups, you know, these were people in their 20s and young 30s, and I was quite a bit older. And yet it was kind of fun because uh, they wouldn't specify age range. And I, I would look around and wonder, gee, I wonder if this is like a singles meetup and I'm <laughs> crashing the party because I really want to talk about the book. Uh, but it was it was fun to try that. I tried Toastmasters, which is sort of an unusual thing to just try, but I thought it would be fun to get to know people through a group like Toastmasters. Another one was, was Story Slam. I, I just loved the idea of an open mic night where people would stand up and tell their stories. And mostly I went to be a member of the audience, you know, to have a uh, a Cosmo, an appetizer, and just listen to some good stories. And then, then it was fun to, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and and then one foolish day when I was sitting <laughs> in the audience, maybe it was my second Cosmo. I somehow, <laughs> it, during the intermission, they said, "Okay, we have a few more slots for storytellers." So uh, I remember it was February thirteenth. 2017, because it was the day before Valentine's Day a few years ago, and I said, oh, what the hell, I'm going to get up and tell a story. And so that's what I did. And believe me, it, you know, I'm sure my hands were shaking as I picked up the microphone. (laughs) And since then, you have Tell the Audience. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just, uh, I think tried to, I, I think I did about four of those stories in Story Slam, and one month, you know, they, uh, I actually won the Story Slam for the month and went on to the Grand Slam, which is a larger audience in front of the Historical Society. And, you know, I didn't win the Grand Slam, but I was just proud of myself for 
just having the gumption to even tell the first story. And believe me, there's some, you know, if you compare yourself to others, you'll easily get discouraged because there are some amazing storytellers like Luann Fox Sims and, uh, and, you know, just great storytellers that, but right. you don't compare yourself right. to others and just say, I'm going to take a step. You know, for me, it represents courage. It'll take oh, you a long that. way. I absolutely love that. So let me ask you something. If, if you didn't do what you had done for your career, what profession other than your own would you have liked to attempt? <laughs> well, it's hard to answer that question that seriously. My first thing is, I think it would have been a blast to be a ski instructor in Colorado for a while. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe great. a pilot. I, I've always had a fixation kind of with the sky. I've done... You know, when I had those kind of corporate jobs, particularly when I was very miserable in that job at AT&T and I felt like I was slowly suffocating, um, I started to do things like parachute diving and flying a Cessna 152 and going hot air ballooning. I'm not sure whether that was a, whether that was a death wish or whether that was a antidote to uh, the rut I was in at the time. Yeah, well, you're trying to get yourself out of the rut by jumping out of planes and whatnot. <laughs> I think it's great, though, because you just, life was there, and you just kept taking the bite out of it, and I think that's amazing. So I need to ask you this. What, what are you not good at? Because you seem like you're good at everything. Is there anything that you're not oh, good at? Oh, gosh, so many things. Uh, let's see. Well, for example, while I love to travel, I'm terrible at foreign languages. In fact, I almost didn't graduate from college because of the foreign language proficiency requirement. Oh, lucky that's, for me. That's funny. Lucky, that's really funny. It is. Lucky for me, they considered math one of the foreign languages. I'm also bad at a lot of things. I'm bad at cooking. I'm bad at music. I'm bad at singing. Uh, <laughs> I just hope, Sarah, I just hope you don't. Say I'm bad at dancing. You're not bad at dancing. I value that. You're a great dancer. Great, great dancer. I love it. So we only have a, like about two minutes left, and I, I want to just: is there anything else you want our audience to know? Any other little mind morsels or wisdom nuggets you have for them? Oh well, I think for me it helped to think about the different chapters and. I forget the line from is Madeleine Albrecht or Oprah who said, you can have it all, just not all at the same time. And, you know, you be patient with yourself, but push yourself too. have that right balance between um, being content, but not complacent. So, you know, I think. I think that that whole idea of just taking some small steps is really good. And I love your show. I just want to say, I think both what, what Sarah, what you and Sheila are doing, I think one thing that women have as an advantage is that we share our stories with, and, and we're more open with each other. And I think there's a whole lot of inspiration and motivation that comes from sharing our stories. Oh, I thank you. That's why we do what we do. I really, really appreciate that. These are great words of wisdom. Um, Robin, we really enjoyed you um, on the show and having you on the show and all everything you've shared with us. So we really appreciate it. And we hope you did too, audience. And hopefully you will tune in next week 
as well. Next week, we're discussing self-care and the importance of it in your life, about the physical, the mental, and the emotional benefits, and share our tips and our strategies for feeling more fab. Follow us at Fab Empowers. Join our tribe of empowered women. And remember to find a little fab in your everyday. Until next time. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of Life from Flat to Fabulous. Be sure to join Sheila Turner and Sarah Kartner again next Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Until we talk again, make it a fabulous week.